The reading this morning is from the book of Ephesians, starting at verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. We continue this morning on our theme, Why Church? And today we are looking at what it means to be the bride of Christ. Now, Paul describes the church as being the bride of Christ and tells us how our relationship between a husband and a wife is an illustration of Christ's relationship and love for us. When Paul talks about the church, he is not talking about buildings. He is not talking about religion or our particular denomination. He is not talking about people who attend church or are members of a church. No. Paul is talking about people who are born again, people who are true believers and people who know Jesus and Jesus knows them. And I'm going to come back to this later. First of all, I want to look at marriage, Christian marriage between a man and a woman. God made us so that we can love. And I believe marriage was given to us so that we might understand what it means to love and broaden our understanding and love of God. Now, I recognise as I speak to you on this subject that not all of you will be married or in the process of marriage. But I hope whatever your situation is, you will see where I'm going with this and you will understand what I'm trying to say. Marriage is a divine institution and should not be entered into lightly. When two people come to love one another and want to spend the rest of their lives together, it is natural to want to get married. Now, there are many preparations to do before the big day, for invites to be sent out, a venue to be arranged, for dresses and suits to be ordered and many other things. And it is a busy time for the bride and groom. But eventually, the big day comes. The groom is the first to arrive at the church and patiently waits for his bride. There may be nerves as he waits, hoping and praying that his bride will turn up and has not got cold feet. However, his fears are allayed as he hears the bridal march strike up and he cannot help but look back to see his bride usually on the arms of her father, come up the aisle. She looks radiant, dressed in white, and as she comes alongside her husband-to-be, she lifts up her veil so he is the first person to see her in all her beauty. 
They take their vows before God and they mean every word they say. They exchange rings and the minister proclaims them man and wife. A beautiful wedding. Two have become one. But this is not the end. It is only the beginning. For a marriage to be successful, the two must work at their relationship. They have to realise that they can no longer behave as if they are single, but they have responsibilities and care for each other. Now in the first flush of marriage, it is exciting and there is passion. However, as the years go by, it is easy because of familiarity for the passion for love to diminish and to begin to take each other for granted. And if they are not careful, to drift apart with inevitable consequences. With a good marriage, this never happens because the couple are continually working at their relationship, never taking each other for granted, talking to each other, sharing life and their most innermost and private feelings, doing everything together with the consequence that love, instead of diminishing, grows stronger day by day. Now, yes, as time goes by, they will discover that a husband or wife is not perfect. There may be little things that irritate them or things that they wish they did not do. However, with true love, these things are overlooked because they pale into insignificance with the love they feel for each other. In all marriages, there will be times of trials and sadness. But because of a strong bond between them, nothing, nothing that happens can separate them. And they work through these difficulties together. That is what a good marriage looks like. So let us now look at our relationship with Jesus and see the similarities between the two. At some point in every believer's life, there is a realization that we need Jesus and we want to spend eternity with him. Each and every believer comes to faith in a unique way, tailor-made for them by God. But there is one key thing that happens in every true believer, and that is this. At the point of saying yes to Jesus, our life is never the same, and there is a change a shifting from our old ways and habits and a desire to do what is pleasing in his eyes. Now, if this is not a reality in our lives, there is something wrong and we must question to what extent we are true believers. When a person truly comes to know Christ, they are regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a supernatural work of God that has a profound effect that causes change in both themselves and their heart. The Bible tells it like this. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Let me explain it to you this way. Now, let's say I was very late coming home one night and my wife, being very concerned, asked me why. I apologise to her and say, I was in good time returning home, but as I am prone to do, I was daydreaming, crossed a busy road without looking, and suddenly realised that a double-decker bus was in front of me, travelling at 40 miles an hour, and knocked me over. That is why I am late. 
Now, my wife is very astute and she would quite rightly say to me, that is impossible, David. If a double-decker bus hit you at 40 miles an hour, you most likely would be dead or at the very least in hospital seriously injured. You would not be standing in front of me. You would be changed. So my question is this, what is greater, the power of a double-decker bus or the power of God? If you have had a real encounter with God, make no mistake, you will be changed. Now the Bible says this, salvation is by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ, followed by repentance and turning away from our sinful past, having a hatred for the things God hates and a love for the thing God loves. As we do these things, we grow in holiness and turn away from the things of the world. We begin to think and act differently as day by day we are transformed and become more like Jesus. So I ask you, is this a reality in your life? Jesus is coming for his bride, which is the church. But is the church ready? Are you ready? My passion is to see all people who profess to be Christian to not live in a false hope and think everything is okay and Jesus loves them whatever they do. This is not the teaching of the Bible. As a preacher and all pastors and leaders of churches everywhere, we have a responsibility to preach the word of God as it is not to dilute or dumb down the gospel, not to make it entertaining, not for people to leave each Sunday without feeling challenged, convicted, and the need to reevaluate where they are in their faith. Jesus says, there are two gates, a narrow and a broad gate. The narrow gate leads to life, and the broad gate is the way the world goes and leads to eternal damnation. Which path are you on? We cannot have a foot in both camps. We cannot lead a life six days a week in the ways of the world and on the seventh day be on the narrow path worshipping God. Being a member of a church is important and we should all attend church. But attending church alone is not enough. What do you think would happen in our marriages? If one day a week we praised our other half, telling them how much we love them and enthused how good they are, and life wouldn't be the same without them, but for the rest of the week, we totally ignored them, had no conversation with them whatsoever, and did our own thing. Now, I would say the likely outcome would be a divorce, wouldn't you? Yet this is how so many people treat God. Jesus gives us a warning to these people in Matthew's Gospel. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, 
The key here is not, do you know Jesus? But does Jesus know you? Jesus died on the cross to restore us to God and to bring us closer to him. He died out of love for you and me. Did he die in vain? When we truly recognise what Jesus did for mankind on that cross, it is hard to believe that we would not all be touched and changed and willingly give our all to him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus prayed for, for his father to take this cup from him, it wasn't because he knew he would be beaten to the point of death by Roman soldiers. It wasn't because of the pain of nails hammered into his hands and feet. It wasn't even the abuse, insults and scorn from onlookers as the cross was hoisted up. No, it was the realisation that for a time he would be separated from his father. You see, the two of them had been as one. Jesus said when asked, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. And God had said about the son, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Yet at the point of death, the sins of the world were heaped on Jesus and God being absolutely pure and holy could not look on his son at that moment and turned his back on him. They were separated. Do you realise that God at that moment made his son to be sin so that we might become saints? Do we understand and fully comprehend that truth? By Jesus dying for us, Jesus reconciled the whole human race, putting it back to where God designed it to be. Now everyone can experience that reconciliation, being brought into oneness with God on the basis of what our Lord has done on the cross. Christ's love for his church is such that he willingly gave himself for our sake. There are three things we learn from the cross and they should be etched on our hearts. The first is that Christ's love for us is unconditional. The second is that it is intentional. And the third is that Christ has a burning desire for his bride, the church. <clears throat> In the book of Song of Songs, it says, you are altogether beautiful, my darling, and there is no blemish in you. Do you know that is how Jesus sees us? He is coming for a pure, spotless bride. Now we may ask ourselves, how can that be? We are all like filthy rags compared to the beauty of Jesus. And the Bible clearly states if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, we are lying if we say we do not sin. But I refer you back to what I said happens in a good marriage. Each of us recognises that there are faults in our partners, but because of our great love, they do not matter. They are overlooked. That is the same with our relationship with Jesus. He knows that we are not perfect, but what he sees is people doing their very best to follow him. 
not being influenced by the world, spending time and drawing closer to him each day. He sees us as being spotless. Now, this is something which is important and we should bear in mind. God gives us marriage and hopefully we all love our partners. However, it does not matter how good our marriage is and how much we love each other. The reality is that it is just for a short time here on earth. But our marriage to Jesus will be eternal. Therefore, do you not think we should get to know him more, grow in love and godliness with him? Christ will one day return for a church that has been transformed by his presence and power. Are we prepared? Are we ready? On that glorious day when Jesus returns, his church, his people, his bride will be taken up to spend eternity with him. In the meantime, are we going to be the church Jesus calls us to be? Are we going to do whatever it takes to please and worship him? Always ready for when the Lord returns. I hope and pray that will be the case. Let us pray. Now, there may be some of you who have listened and thinking, this is not my experience. I attend church. I remember saying a prayer of commitment at some point, but I cannot honestly say there's been a change in me. You might be watching this on the internet at home, not necessarily a churchgoer, but something has stirred in your heart today. I really hope it has. If that is you, I'm going to say a prayer which I want you to repeat after me. Now, this is particularly important. Listen to me carefully. Do not say this prayer unless you mean it in your heart. If it is just words, you will be the same place you were before. But if you say it with your mouth and believe it in your heart, the Holy Spirit will come and reside in you and I guarantee you will be changed. This is what it says in the Bible, in the book of Romans. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You may also wish to say this prayer if you want to rededicate your life to Jesus. Maybe that passion for him has diminished. Maybe in these uncertain times you are drifting away. You are finding it hard to stay connected and keep that fire burning as you struggle with the effects of this pandemic. Wherever you are at this moment, whether you want to accept Jesus into your life or whether you want to rededicate your life, say this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner and need your forgiveness. I truly believe that Jesus Christ died in my place, paying the penalty for my sins. I am willing right now to turn from my sin and accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Saviour. I commit myself to you and I ask you to send the Holy Spirit into my life 
to fill me and help me to be the kind of person you want me to be. Thank you, Father, for loving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you said that prayer and meant it in your heart, please share it with someone close to you. If you currently do not attend a church, find one that suits you and get involved so that your faith grows day by day. God bless you all as you discover and journey on with the Lord Jesus.